0: Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, and I'd like to read beginning in verse 31, and we will read to the end of verse 32 as our passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let's hear God's Word this morning. Paul the Apostle writes, and he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your wonderful words you've given to us. I pray for your blessing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God to be upon the Word of God as it speaks to the hearts of the people of God. Lord, I pray that you'll use the Word to shape mold our thinking, our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, our spirits, and I pray it will bring us to obedience, to obey and trust your Word against the way that our normal thoughts process and that we would honor you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. On a hot summer afternoon, July 12th, 1993. I remember it well because I saw it on the evening news. Two brothers, 15-year-old Herman Dutton and his 12-year-old brother, Drewy from Rush Springs, Oklahoma, went into their living room of their mobile home trailer where their 39-year-old father, Lonnie Dutton, was taking a nap on the couch. The two sons had in their hands their father's rifle. As they approached their snoozing father, Herman pointed the barrel of the rifle behind the father's right ear and Drewy squeezed the trigger of the rifle, killing their father instantly. Later that day, the brothers were apprehended by the police. And of course, the forthcoming question that everybody wanted answered was the question, what? Why? Why would you kill their father? And I remember watching it on television without the answer coming immediately, and I thought, well, I probably know the answer, but let's hear. And the answer was very predictable. The father had been known as an obnoxious, spiteful person whose only goal in life seemed to be to see how many people he could make hate him. And fear him. The Dutton children had been living for many years under their father's daily abuse, who would beat them and kick them with his steel toed shoes. However, it was on that day, July 12th, that something was different, for the boys had learned that their 10 year old sister, Alicia, had been abused sexually by the father. And the irony of the story is that the boy's father had already given his son's repeated orders that if anybody messes with your sister, shoot them behind the ear or in the heart. Well, though the story is unique and though the story is tragic, and I remember it, we could say also that to varying degrees, this kind of thing happens thousands of times all over the world. It's really simple. There's mistreatment, or you could say abuse, that leads to bitterness, and bitterness leads to anger, and anger leads to reactions that, all, that go all the way to being malicious, but I want you to know that it is the power of the gospel that enables any of us to overcome any of life's abuses and mistreatments and difficulty, that the power of the gospel is powerful enough to overcome all of these struggles that we face. And I want to say this morning that the miracle of this tragic story that took place 30 years ago is that today one of the brothers, Herman, is an assistant pastor of a church in Oklahoma. The gospel turns bitter, bitter people Into kind people. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to look at this verse in in somewhat of a detailed format this morning. But as we look at it, I want to set up the big picture, the context of what Paul is talking about. And that is in Ephesians chapter 4, he is discussing the idea that the believers are not like the people of the world. That you have been transformed by the power of God. That when you learn Jesus, it's very interesting. Paul didn't say you learn about Jesus. He says you actually learn Jesus. When you learn to come to know who he is, something happens in your life. And notice what he says in Ephesians 4 and verse 22, and he's speaking here about the salvation of the people of the church of Ephesus. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, and look at verse 24, and that you put on the new man. He's talking about what happens when a person gets saved. It's, it's like changing your clothes. You're putting something off and you're putting something on. And what are you putting off? He says it's the old man. What is the old man? Well, let me give you just a simple definition. The old man is everything you are in Adam because of sin. Every one of us in this building were born into this world through our parents. When we came into this world through our parents, we were born with our parents' nature. And the Bible describes that our nature came all the way back from our first parents called Adam. And that when Adam was in this world, he sinned against God and it changed his heart where he turned from righteousness to sinfulness. So that every child that is born is born with an inherent disposition towards selfishness and sinfulness. And if you don't believe this, you never had children. The favorite two words in the church nursery are, that's what? Mine. And so when the Bible describes our condition, he calls us, it's the old man. It's everything we are in sin because of Adam. So why did Jesus come into the world? He came into the world to fix what Adam broke, to undo what Adam did. And Jesus is called the second Adam. And what did he do? He came into this world to live the life that Adam should have lived for Adam's sin, but Jesus, the second Adam, lived in complete obedience to God, and then he went to the cross as the second Adam to die for the first Adam's sin, and you and I are in the first Adam, and he died so that we could come and be saved and forgiven, and he takes us the moment we get saved, he takes us out of Adam, and he puts us in Christ. And what does it mean to put on the new man? The new man is everything we are in Christ because of His grace, and God saves us. And when does that take place? At the moment you're saved. Now, to think with me, the old man is put off, the new man is put on. The old man, as Paul describes it here in verse 22, is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That is, he lives a self-centered life. He says in verse 24, the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. That is, when you get saved, God makes you a new creation, a new person, and you begin to pursue the things you never pursued before, things that are righteous, that is obedience to the law of God, holiness, that is, that's, that's becoming like God. You want to grow and become like Him. So how does it all happen? And it's the verse that squeezed between 22 and 24, verse 23. It's a very short statement, but it's a profound statement when he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he's talking about the big picture of how a person changes. And that is you go through a remodeling process. Now, I preached in this church before this remodel job. Same building. In fact, as you pull up on the outside, it looks like the same building. But when you walk in, you go, Cool. This thing is different. It's actually modern, not ancient like it was before. 1970s version. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And when it says be renewed in the spirit of of your mind, he's talking about transforming the way you think, which ends up in the way you act and the way that you feel. Do you understand what I'm saying? he's talking about how you change. And let me tell you something. You can be saved. You can be saved and be and maybe be changing, but not be changing much. Now, some of you actually need to change more. Some of you are a little slow. You say, preacher, you're being mean this morning. No, I'm not being mean. I'm just being your friend. I'm telling you the truth. Because you still got a lot of old man tendencies that need to be put off. And you need to put on the new... Man disposition. You need to change the way you think. And so what does Paul do? He lays out what he means by this. So notice what he says beginning in verse 25. He says, wherefore, whenever you see the word wherefore, you always ask the question, what's it there for? He's talking about putting off the old man. Now he's explaining it. He says, wherefore, notice, putting away lying. So what does the old man do? He tells lies. What does the new man do? Speak every man truth with his neighbor. So you speak, you're to speak the truth and stop lying. But, but it's not just a moral statement because he gives us the heart behind it. Look at what he says in the next phrase. For we are members one of another. What is he saying there? The moment you get saved, you're taken out of Adam, put into Christ. You're now part of his body, his church. And his church is a place where God's truth is being preached. And if you preach the truth, you need to live truthfully. So he's talking about our attitudes in the way we live, okay? So the whole passage of Scripture to the end of verse 32 are the things we're to be putting off and the things we're to be putting on, and you can go and study that for yourself. But what I want us to do is to look at these last two verses that are very important because he tells us something to put off and he tells us something to put on. He says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another. Now, there are two commands here. The first command is to put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking with all malice. So he says, this is what you're to put off. Let me make it simple. Put off all bitterness. Then he tells us in verse 32 that we're to put on kindness. And then he gives us the motivating reason, the way we change our thinking. Why do we do this? What's the purpose behind it? How do we think? He says, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That is, he's telling you to act like God. And what did God do? God acted in a kind manner towards you in that he forgave you of all of your sins through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, this is the motivating reason why you should put away bitterness and you should put on kindness. So let's break it down. Let's look at verse 31 in a deeper way when he says to put off all bitterness. And there are three things I want you to notice just as you kind of look at the Scripture and try to interpret it. And the first thing I want you to notice is that the word all is used twice. He says, let all bitterness. And at the end of verse 31, he says, with all malice. Now, I don't think that's just thrown in there. I think it's very intentional. It's like two bookends with the books in the middle. All bitterness all malice, start, finish. And he says all, every kind of bitterness and every kind of malice. Now, why is it that he put the word all there? Because I think, I think, he's, I think he's giving us a very simple concept here. And that is, what does it mean to be bitter? If I could simple summarize it in two words, it's, it means hurt people, okay? And the word hurt there is an adjective describing the people. What is the word malice? Malice is an action, not just an attitude. And that is malicious people hurt people. That's a verb. So summarize it. He's summarizing the whole thing. Hurt people. What do they do? They hurt people. Whenever I see somebody reactionary, want to get back, want to be, you know, want to get after a person, it's because they got hurt. Hurt people hurt people. Notice the second thing I want you to see in the interpretation of it, and that is the repetition of the word and. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Why did Paul not just say let all bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you? Because it is a style of communication where things are connected together in succession for an effect. So he says, let all bitterness and, 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 and. And the effect is this, that each vice is the result of the preceding vice. So when you start, when you end with malice, okay, and you start backing it up, evil speaking, clamor, anger, wrath, if you want to know the root of all these other things, where does it start? It starts with the word bitterness, And that is bitterness produces anger, which produces wrath, which produces clamor, which is producing evil speaking. It's a succession from one to the other. So the idea is he's telling us the root of where all of this comes from. And then one other thing I want you to notice, and that is the word put away. When he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamoring, evil speaking be put away from you, Paul is commanding us. It's an imperative. This is a decisive decision. You need to decide to do this. Do this. That's what he's saying. But he puts it in a particular voice that's interesting. In other words, when your mother says to you, do this, she's looking for you to do something. It's called action. Okay? You take responsibility. You do this. But when Paul says, put this away, he actually is speaking in a different voice, and that is it's in a passive voice. Now, when you think of somebody that's passive as opposed to active, what do you think about them? They don't do anything. And when he says passive, he's not saying you don't do anything. He's saying that you can't do this without something happening to you. And that is this, that bitterness is such a, big deal in our life, that to be commanded to be put it away could be very discouraging, especially if you've had some really horrible things done to you. You would almost think it's not right to do this, and you would surely think, I don't know if I can do this without the help of God, and that's what he's talking about. When he is commanding you to put this away, it's not this harsh barking of the command of a drill sergeant, but it is the tender, compassionate heart of God who will enable you to do what you cannot do by yourself, that God will give you all the grace to overcome life's hurts and become like our Lord. So that's what he's telling us. Now. Let's try to understand the things we're to put away. Notice what he says, let all bitterness, which is the root, the Bible says in Hebrews 12:15 that bitterness is a root sin, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, that means to come short of God's grace, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Uh, a bitterness is something that happens in the heart that you don't see it right away, but over time it grows and it produces fruit. So what does it mean to be bitter? Well, the origin or the idea of the word is something that is sharp, something that is pointed. We could say something that is painful. Have you ever stepped on a piece of glass? You ever sliced your finger with a knife? You ever had anybody stab you in the back? He's talking about experiences in life that we go through that are painful. And generally, there's two painful experiences that people go through that become a source of bitterness. The first is any pain that is caused by some unjust mistreatment. That is, something happens to you that's not fair. And it actually could start with the way you were born, the family you grew up in it could refer to something that was taken away a loss you experienced the death of a loved one a friend turned their back on you the divorce of your parents a leader you trusted in broke your heart maybe a position that you had maybe you were in a position of leadership and people trusted you and You could even say somewhat your identity was found in that. And it was removed, and it wasn't fair, and it wasn't right. Maybe something you had, a possession that was stolen, a loss of an investment, somebody embezzled money. Or how about this one, your own physical health? And I'm not talking about your physical health, struggling with that at a particular age, because we're all going to struggle with health. It's called dying. But that's, let's back up even into your younger years. And maybe you've been living with this your whole life. Something that's happened that's not fair. Or maybe, maybe you could say the painful experience that comes through unfulfilled expectations. Something happens that is very disappointing. Something you wanted that you couldn't get. It could be a breakup before marriage. It could be the lack of ability to have children. It could be something that happens to you financially. You can, you can kind of go on and on and on. But what is bitterness? Bitterness is a painful experience, and you can say that bitter people are hurt people. Well, what comes out of that? Notice the next word, the word wrath. The word here means a volcanic eruption. Being exasperated with people. Do you ever stop to think how wonderful the world would be without people? This is intense irritation an annoyance with passionate outbursts. When you consider Christians becoming bitter, we often forget that pain is God's way of gain. Could I say this to you because this is so unnatural to the way we naturally think? God advances his kingdom through the suffering of his people. If you don't believe that, how do you explain Jesus? Every benefit you and I have from Jesus Christ came because he went to a cross and died. Now let me ask you a question, is he the only one to experience that? The advancement of the kingdom of God, your pain is God's way of progress. Ask the Apostle Paul, because the Bible says the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh. He asked the Lord to take it away three times And what did God say? I'm not going to remove your pain, but I'm going to give you something better. And that is I'm going to give you sufficient grace. What does that mean? I'm going to give you divine enablement. I'm going to give you a power that comes through the pain, and I am going to fulfill my purpose and my plan in such a way that everybody will know, Paul, that this is not about you, it's about me. It's for my glory and it is for your good. And then notice the next word the word anger. Anger is kind of like a slow burn. You go to a Mexican restaurant, they bring out a, your plate, they set it in front of you, and they say, Don't touch it because it's hot. Did you touch it? And you found out, surprisingly, it was pretty hot. It's like people. You can get around people and they don't look like they're angry until you get real close and you can begin to feel the heat. It comes out of their mouth, it comes out of their attitude, it comes out of their responses. Instead of there being a joyfulness in the Lord, there's a complaint, there's an irritation, they are upset. I was in a church just recently, and there was a man in the church, it was obvious he was irritated. I have no idea who he was. I don't know his name. All I know is he was the irritated brother. And I thought, is he really mad because of what he is having to do, or is there something else? Because whenever you see the surface problem, generally that's not the real problem. And then notice the next word, the word clamor. That means to shout and scream, argue, yell. People who are full of anger are going to have outbursts. And then notice the word evil speaking. That means to speak against someone in such a way as to harm or injure them personally or their reputation. Slander, defamation, libel, cursing, gossip, either in front of their face or behind their back. And it's not always verbal because when Paul wrote this, there was no texting. And remember, the words on a text are as just significant as the words that come out of your mouth. And then he concludes with all malice. What does it mean to be malicious? It's a feeling of hostility, strong dislike, with the idea of desiring to do them harm. Or let me take it even a step further. It may be that because you're a Christian, you're really not in a place to react, okay? That's not, that's not where your place is. But you can be just as malicious in your heart when you hear about somebody that you're bitter at and you hear that they prosper and it pains you. That you really wished that they would suffer more than they're presently suffering, like you. And the Apostle Paul says that all of this All of this is to be put away. Now, maybe you're sitting here this morning and going, man, I don't know if I can do that. And that's why Paul said, you need God's grace. You need God's grace to overcome your feelings, to overcome your thoughts. And God has given you all the grace because he's going to show us in just a moment how to overcome it. But then notice the second thing he says to do. In verse 32, he says, and put on, he says, and be ye kind one another. We're to put on kindness. Now, when he says you be, it implies that kindness has to be developed. In other words, it's not natural. Come on. Is it natural to want to shake the hand of somebody you can't stand? It's not natural. So we got to get over the naturalness of it. We got to get to the grace of it. And he tells us to be kind. So what does it mean to be kind? It's the idea of providing something for somebody else that's beneficial to them. It's the desire to make them happy. My wife's One of my wife's favorite statements is, is if you love people, cook them tasty food. Because everybody likes food that tastes good. It's it's a person who is considerate of the needs and the interests of others. It means to be disposed to do good or to be helpful or to be useful to them. Um, There's another way it's translated. Jesus said, my yoke is, do you know what the word is? Easy. That same exact word. It means to be smooth. It's the difference between a good cup of coffee and truck stop coffee. Life is too short, by the way, to pass up three things. Number one, life is too short to drink bad coffee. Life is too short to pass up bacon. And since, since this afternoon you're eating the same, it comes from the same hog, maybe I should say barbecue. And life is too short not to drive a pickup truck, amen? So what does it mean to be kind? It means to go after people. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Paul describes this kindness when he says in Ephesians 2.7 that in the ages to come for the people of God, God will show us the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Do you know that you'll spend the rest of eternity never getting over God's kindness to you? Never, ever. And it will continue to perpetuate because the nature of God is eternal. He is immortal, immortal, and there is no end to God's kindness being displayed to us. Now, if God is that kind, what about what? If God is that kind, what should His children be like? And so Paul says we're to act towards believers. With grace. Would you go back and look at what the word is? And be ye kind one to another. Paul is saying that it is grace that goes way beyond anything we could imagine because this grace has been expressed in the way God has acted towards us as sinners. Think about it this way who has the right to get better? How about God? His first son, Adam, rebelled against him and every child that has been born has been born with the nature of rebellion? How many times in a day is God's name cursed by those whom God created? How many people have received from the hand of God millions upon millions of benefits like food, air, water, life, and never one time have they ever expressed thankfulness to God? God has every right to get bitter but he not only did not get bitter but he dealt with how to even deal with the sin of, forg- of forgiveness, of, of how to overcome the bitterness and deal with it in a way to forgive. Kindness is the very opposite of bitterness. And Paul says we're to be kind and we're to put on a tender heart. Another way you can explain that is to be compassionate. When Jesus saw sheep without shepherds, he was moved with compassion. Compassion. When he saw a leper coming to him to be healed, he was moved with compassion. When he saw a widow whose son was about to be buried, he was moved with compassion. And in all cases, it moved him to action. He resurrected the boy from the dead, he healed the leper, and he sent out his shepherds to the shepherdless sheep so that they could hear the gospel. Compassion moves us to action. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. They don't understand it. And so in mercy, he showed us compassion. And then he says to forgive one another. I think one of the biggest questions Christians have is how do you forgive, especially when they did wrong? How do you forgive? And I've been asked that question many times. And I want you to know something, that there's two words in the New Testament for forgiveness, two primary words. The first word means to remove guilt resulting from wrongdoing. Removing the guilt. And for us, that generally means they got to come and ask forgiveness. That's going to remove the guilt. But there's a second word, and it's the word that Paul uses here. It means to forgive on the basis of one's attitude. For when he says, forgiving one another, the root word is the word for grace. And in this Paul passage, Paul uses this second word because he's dealing with motivation. Why should we put away bitterness? Why should we put on kindness? Why should we show forgiveness? It's not justifying what people do, okay? We have the idea, if I forgive them, I justify them. But what Paul is saying here is that the root word for forgiveness is the idea of grace, we should forgive because of grace. 2,000 years ago, God acted in a gracious manner by sending his son to die for us. And because of the manner in which God treated us, we are to be gracious in the same way in treating others. We are to grace one another because God in Jesus Christ has graced you. What he is saying is you need to act like God. And that's what Jesus did when he died on the cross to those that nailed him there. And that's what Stephen did when he was being stoned by a mob. And that's what even Paul did when he stood before the Roman government in Rome and nobody stood with him. He graced them. And he did it because of what Christ, what God did for us in Jesus Christ. So two things. You're to put off bitterness. You're to put on kindness because of the grace that God has shown you in Jesus Christ. Let me close with this illustration. My mother passed away in 2020. She died during the season of COVID. And my mom and dad were married for 30 years, from 1954 to 1984. I'm the oldest in the family. I was born in 1955. 1984, I got a phone call from my mother crying over the phone, and my first thought is one of my siblings had passed away. But what I realized that what had really died was not a brother or sister. It was kind of the family. Because my dad had come and asked for a divorce from my mother without her ever knowing it, He asked for a divorce in 1984 and after 30 years of marriage, uh, my mom and dad divorced and, and, you know, I think they tried to make it a good divorce. I don't know if there's such a thing as a good divorce. When you put two pieces of plywood together and glue them together and pull them apart, you're going to get splinters. And, And uncomfortably, my dad remarried six months later to a lady who was five years older than me. So the first time I met her, it was slightly awkward, but it wasn't so awkward for me. It was actually awkward for her because she knows she did not know me. All she knew was that my dad had a son who was a Baptist preacher. And so when I first met her, she was literally shaking and I called out her name. I said, let me ask you a question. Are you afraid of me? she was like, yes. I said, look, this is my dad. I love my dad. So I'm okay, okay? I'm okay in the sense that this is my dad and you don't need to feel that way. Well, that was 1984. 13 years later, my dad passed away of lung cancer in 1997. And then it was right around 2000, and I'm going to guess around 2000, And 11 or 12, so this would be about 15 years later, my second daughter gets married out in Denver, Colorado. My my dad was living in Denver when he passed away. And so we decided to have the wedding out there at a church, and most of the people that came were family and a handful of friends. So we had the wedding, and a part of the wedding plans were whether or not we were going to invite my dad's second wife. I mean, let's face it, okay? My mom's going to be there. And so uh, we said, nah, we, got, we need to invite her. This, we want to honor my dad. This is the right thing to do. So she came. And my, of course, my mother came. It was all family. It was a beautiful wedding. And afterwards, we had the reception in the lobby of the church. It was just a really wonderful time. And I'm in a family of four children. I'm the oldest. There are three boys and then my sister. And during the wedding ceremony, excuse me, the wedding reception, I, we look over and we see my mother sitting down talking to my dad's second wife, and we were like, "That's that's what was going on." We were like, "Well, we thought it would be cordial, you know, like a four or five minutes, hello, how are you doing, how are you feeling, you know, how's your health, you know, all those kind of questions." But it wasn't five minutes. It was 30 minutes. I'm going to tell you something, 30 minutes a long time. And I, the whole time we were all going. And then, and then it wasn't just my siblings. It was my kids. It was my wife. It was like everybody was going, looking over. And you know what? We, we're, we're, we're still kids. We're not going to walk up to our mother and go, what you all talk about? <laughs> Next day we have a barbecue at my sister's house, and it's just my siblings. And my family, just a small gathering. And we, behind my mom's backs, thought, said to each other, wow, that was really interesting that she talked to so-and-so yesterday. Wow, what did they talk about? I don't know. So at the end of the day, we were getting ready to leave. And as we were getting ready to walk out the house, my mother stopped. She, stopped. she stopped us all. And she said, I want to talk to everybody. And that, everybody everybody meant the kids, just, you know, her four kids. And we all sat down, and I sat there, you know, with my hands folded, and like, okay, mama, what do you want to say? And she looked at me, and she said, I just want you to know, this is 25 years later, after my, over 25 years later, after my mom and dad were divorced, that she said, I decided yesterday to forgive, and she named the lady and I want to put it behind me. And so yesterday I forgave. And from that point forward till my mother died in 2020, I never sensed any anger or bitterness or resentment. She never justified what was done. God has to deal with that. But her spirit completely changed. And she had the kindness of the Lord towards those who had hurt her. I think that's what the Lord's talking about. And how do we do that? We do that in Christ. So as we close, two things. One, if you have anybody you need to forgive, you need to forgive them. But let me say that, that's pretty hard. Let me say it this way. If people have deeply hurt you and some of you have been through some very horrible things, would you turn to the Lord today to ask God to give you the grace? to have a forgiving spirit. And then secondly, if you're here today and you've never experienced God's forgiveness, come on. Today is the day. Because God is ready to forgive you if you will repent and acknowledge your sin and say, God, save me. God will save you today.